0: This is Dr. James Crosby, Head of Sustainability at Advantage Utilities. I'd like to ask, could your organisation be more of an energy sector hero? Are you interested in improving your sustainability as a business? Well, now you can obtain the expert view and guidance on renewable energy solutions, on-site generation, carbon accounting and sophisticated grid energy purchasing options through Advantage Utilities. Our team of experts use the latest tools to better analyse, track and reduce your organization's energy usage and carbon emissions. To find out how Advantage Utilities can become your one-stop shop for all your energy and sustainability needs, please visit www.advantageutilities.com or give one of our passionate and friendly team a call on 0208 131 4747.
1: Hi there and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Akachi Kanu. Akachi is an incredible project leader. Uh, Akachi, would you like to introduce yourself, please?
2: Yes, of course, Michelle. I'm Akachi DK Kanu. Everyone calls Akachi for short, which, by the way, means uh, in the uh, Igbo language, Akachi, hand of God. So that means I'm uh, Nigerian by nationality. And um, yeah, like you said, I'm a project leader. Here with Repsol, EMP. What else? I have a wife and uh, five kids.
1: Oh, wow. That's uh, amazing, actually. (laughs) That is amazing, actually. So how did you get started off in the energy sector?
2: Well, that's quite uh, an interesting uh, question Mm -hmm. and I think a long story. But I'll do my best to cut that short. I started out. They yeah, are in Nigeria after graduating from the university. It was a tough start. I would describe it as a tough start back in those days. And I, stay, I think still more the same way now. It's pretty tough for students coming out from from the university in Nigeria. And I guess it's the same thing for most uh, third world countries to find a job. I think even in Nigeria, probably we are more fortunate because we had, uh, we still have a thriving oil industry. But still. It wasn't always that easy. So I would describe my start as a tough start. And I also like to think of it as coming from what you may call entrepreneurship, but more probably more appropriately described as artisanship. Okay. Into intrapreneurship or, you know, corporate professional um, pathway. So in those days, as a student, I was a barber. I used to cut, you you know, cut hair in school. So when I came out from school and um, there was no job, I almost went back to my <laughs> barbing thread. But I thought a little bit: okay, you read chemical engineering, and um, why not look at some of the challenges that you had as a barber, and then try to bring some engineering solution to that? So again, I remember that it used to be, you know, customers always were concerned about the 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 state, you know, the cleanliness of the of the clipper. You know, so then there were no solutions. There were not much solutions. You know, there was a lot of scare about HIV AIDS and all that. So I said to myself, why don't you find out, you know, experiment and uh, discover, produce something that has to sterilize clippers and at the same time be a lubricant. So there used to be either a sterilizer or a lubricant for the clipper. And I decided to build one that would combine uh, did it too. So I went back to my chemistry and everything. So I started producing this disinfectant lubricant and making just enough money to, you know, put my applications for job and, uh, you know, move from place to place looking for jobs still. So that was how I started. Unfortunately for me, in the course of that, I landed an interview and I was asked, I'm sorry, would you have any experience to work as a process engineer in an oil service company? I said, well, yes. And they said, what's the experience? I said, well, I'm manufacturing lubricants and all of that, you know, for, for barbers. And they said to me, the interviewer said to me, no, sorry, but this is not oil and gas. I said, well, probably not oil and gas, but the principles are the same thing. And I think that that phrase, that, that, that sentence excited him a lot. And he said, oh, you talked about first principles. I said, yes. So he asked me a technical question that... You know, related to oil and gas, and then the emotions and mixing of oil and water and all that. And I, fortunately for me, I got the question right. And that was how I was hired as an experienced, you know, professional. Actually, they were looking for someone with 10 years' experience. So I had a fortunate head start there. And that was how I started. But that was a small, that, that was a small um, uh, engineering consultancy there in Portacourt in Nigeria called Titan Engineers and Constructors. And then that was how the journey began, yeah, for me.
1: I like that answer actually. That is really innovative and very, I think I I really like that because uh, you took, you took a really bad challenging situation that you were in and then you changed it into a win-win for yourself. That must have been really hard though.
2: It was tough. Indeed. I mean I was three years, like two yeah, more more than three years not working, moving about in the street, looking for job, dropping letters. But then I was also carrying my where my, my lubricant and disinfectant, you know, in my in my bag, my travelling bag, moving from shop to shop and selling. It was tough in those days. But then, yes, at the end, I was still fortunate to yeah, to land a job. Well, you might say fortunate. others so thought that maybe if I had continued on that, I could have been richer. I could have been a big, um, you know, <laughs> entrepreneur, businessman now. I don't know. But the, the, the joy for me was that I was able to get back to doing what I love to do, what I've always loved to do, which is designing equipment, building solutions for the energy and chemical industry.
1: Yeah. I think it's, an, it's amazing because after three years, a lot of people would have given up. I think you are a real hero for keep going. Actually, thank you. So, what do what kept what, so what kept you motivated to keep on going and pursuing your dreams in in the energy sector?
2: Yeah, uh, good question. Because I also think about that myself, and um, I I think that staying focused on what I consider to be my calling. Was um, a motivating point, so I I have always thought about profession or professional life as a calling, as a life calling, you know, as a life calling. So, uh, like I said, I believed that I had this passion, this unquenchable passion to to be part of designing and building out, you know, solutions, equipment, processes that will support the energy you know energy the quest for energy you know the energy appetite of the world and of course also material development so yeah so whether that was oil and gas or not i was determined to do that even if i had to do that from from my backyard then before i joined oil and gas but that has been my drive my 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 drive and still is much my drive yeah
1: (sighs) It is an amazing story, actually. So, have you had any mentors during your career?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it's it's technically impossible for anyone to really make career progress without mentors. Well, we may not call them mentors, but there are always those who are there like um, angels. I I really prefer to see mentors You know, like, um, or as angels. Yes, I have had quite a number of them, many.
1: What is the most important thing that they've taught you that you've always kept, that you always use all the time?
2: Yes, I can still remember the voices of some of my mentors. I remember Dr. Victor once told me that you have to stoop to conquer. So in whatever situation, you don't always have to win to be a victor. So, you, you may have to lose in order to, uh, to win or to gain. So, again, I learned that it's really not about winning when it comes to career it is, or profession. It's actually about succeeding. So, winning sometimes connotes competing or fighting. But succeeding is achieving the goal, you know, having your eyes on the goal and achieving it. And so, if you have to lose to achieve the objective, yeah, you succeed and not necessarily winning. so that's one of the you know one of the voices of my of my uh, mentors that still rings in my head, and there are so many of those mentors, depending on where and when I am
1: okay, so what is the most challenging aspect of your
2: current role? The most challenging aspect of my current role yeah i think that well i wouldn't i wouldn't know which one is the most challenging (laughs) the most challenging but there are so many challenges right but really i i by by my training now or would i say experience i have come to think of challenges also as opportunities we don't we don't really talk much about challenges we deal more with opportunities and then challenges could be opportunities so probably the best way for me to answer this is to think of challenges as opportunities. So the biggest challenge we had, or the biggest challenge, yeah, I myself and, and my team, is that we we are to deal with the small of the small projects. So we are dealing with sustaining capital-based business kind of projects, you know. And this was a, a team that was established during the downturn of... Uh, 2018, 2019, when the industry started focusing on value instead of volume, right? And trying to say, let's consolidate on what we're doing. You you remember, like, about four or five years ago, there was basically zero investment because of the uh, double or maybe triple whammy of uh, depression in, in commodity prices on one hand. And then the uh, energy or climate change push and all, all of that. So, yeah, the, the challenge then for us was to start, you know, to, to develop a process, to develop a, a, a program, a model that will define and uh, guide how this kind of projects are, are developed, identified, developed and executed, contrary to the traditional project development and execution process which tended and still tends to satisfy or focus more on the big mega projects that our industry have been you know very used to so traditionally our industry is dealing with billions multi-billion you know dollar projects in the deep waters or wherever or in the desert but we, we talk about you know hundreds and of millions and billions and here we have to now start looking at projects that cost us you know five thousand um dollars for example scattered all over the place thousands of them you know across all our operations around the world so and we we, we had this um, like i said traditional methods of dealing with big projects and applying them in smaller projects was a big challenge so the biggest challenge was how to appropriate how to you know how, how to bring use what we know and have and have done well and apply it in a newer, you know, in a newer perspective or scale. Yeah.
1: Okay. So what has been the most important lessons learned throughout that situation, though?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, the first lesson that we learned is that it, it, it's doable. Uh, anyway, every, ev- everything is doable, especially when you just have to do it, right? When we just have to do it. So... Again, coming out from a very, very prosperous bumper, you know, boom market. Then it was like, oh, this is not what we 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 are used to. Looking at every tiny thing with a you know with the eye of a microscope, and then trying to adjust. So the lessons learned is that you can always adjust, as they say. You don't have to cut your cloth according to your size, but according to to the you know to 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 your cloth right. You don't have to cut your coat according to how how big you are, but according to how much you have. So that's the big lesson that we can always adjust. We can always appropriate. Appropriate technology is still applicable even in, in times of uh, or in environment in of uh, big prosperity.
1: Okay, that sounds amazing. Actually. So, is there anything that you still want to achieve in your career?
2: Yes, of course, of course. I am not, I am not retiring or thinking of retirement. So there is quite still a lot to do. But I think beyond beyond the so called career ladder, it is for me, it is more about achieving things in terms of finding solutions that 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 like I said from the beginning that solve the energy needs of the world. There are two things that. That you know two big themes that are driving the industry, not only in the energy industry, probably in the global industrialized uh, world. One is digitalization and the other is um, decarbonization you know of the energy sector. So I have really will I say considered the two, try my hands in both of them, and I can see that based on our competitive advantage in the industry and also as professionals, it looks like for me. Contributing in the decarbonisation, the quest for decarbonisation is um, yeah, is my nest, is my nest and uh, area of focus.
1: I think so. I think it's a lot of yeah. people's uh, focus to have that to be involved in that. It is quite an exciting time just now in engineering. I think so. You know your your invention for the Clipper oil. Do you still get involved in that? Do you still invent? your own little inventions on the side. I just wondered, because I think it was quite an amazing thing that you did, how you got started off in the industry, because you have an amazing career. That's why I I reached out to you for you to be in my podcast, because you have an amazing career. Did you ever...
2: thanks for the compliment. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But did you ever really think for the first three years after leaving university, did you ever really think that you would be so far, so far ahead of your in your career, considering your tough start.
2: Yes, I had the vision on life. Uh, like I said, I had my eyes on the on the goal. Yes, I have always wanted to be in the front line of um, developing and delivering projects that solve energy and uh, materials problems for the world. Yes, and then to the question of whether. I still get involved in some level of uh, R&D or innovation and things like that. Yes, I do, even though in spare time. And even talking about decarbonization, I'm still very much in the traditional the traditional EMP industry, dealing with exploration, dealing with uh, development and optimization of production, but still at the same time, without in any way de-emphasising the need for us to decarbonize. So, yes decarbonization for me is uh, an a, a innovation hobby. I in my spare time, I do support students at uh, the University of Portcot in Nigeria. I am an external health supervisor on Pro bono to students in chemical engineering and and the Center for chemical gas and refining and petrochemical and also in the offshore technology Institute. So yes. I do take time sometimes and suggest areas of research, review students' um, research work, and make some input, and uh, yeah, and support them in fine. For example, I just called one of the professors few weeks ago, and I said to him, "Why don't you guy? Why don't you find some students who can look at um, absorptive capacities of some special materials to to absorb CO two from the air, and then we can study." you know that and look at the uh, you know friend lutch model and all the rest of the absorp- absorption models for capturing co2 from the air so yeah things like that i still i still do that but mainly on like like, like on volunteering part time hobby basis but it is not less important at all to overall you know career makeup
1: but that is even that's even amazing in itself that you would give up your time to tutor young students you would have a wealth of experience and, and a wealth of knowledge about how to, how to navigate yourself to have a successful career so i think it's i think it's that's really commendable in itself that you would even do such a thing even just even to suggest what type of projects the industry would be looking to you know would be interested in undertaking do you get a lot of value out of working with
2: the young students? Oh, it's self-satisfaction. You know, I, I, joy is the biggest is, is the biggest source of self-satisfaction. So I get that inner joy and peace that I am supporting, I am helping. I have also come a long way, as you can see, and I got some support and some help from people. So to whom much is given, much is expected. I just derive joy in supporting, or if you want to call it giving back, is my only little way. Yeah, or one of my little ways of giving back, but there's always this joy that comes from helping and contributing. Right? How seeing people find their path and succeed, and and finding yourself to be a part of their story.
1: Yeah, because I was quite surprised because I I maybe wrongly thought that Nigeria was quite an oil rich co- uh, country, so I was quite surprised that with some day of your experience. And knowledge would not get snapped up if you know what i mean quite early on in after coming out of the university to be successful in getting and getting work right away i didn't it surprises me that you yeah for three years that's quite long
2: yes nigeria is a major oil and gas uh, producing and exporting country true but at the same time, this is a country of uh, about 200 million people. I don't know how many graduates they are churning out every every year, but if you look at the data, GDP contribution of uh, oil and gas, that is the total product, you know, all the production and services and everything that is a part of the overall economy. And I'm not sure, but it's like maybe 5% or probably even less than that. So you can imagine that when compared to the overall economic activity and and the value that it is creating for the you know for the people I mean for the people in in terms of industry and involvement of our of of the of our people in the sector is very little really yeah it's very little so there are very few people compared to the bigger bigger population who are involved in that sector okay still yeah
1: I'm quite surprised actually. So you must hire quite a lot of people over the years. What do you look for when you're interviewing someone?
2: Oh well, yeah yes, I have had I've had the opportunity to be on interview panel and also to, you know, recommend and, and interview candidates indeed and, and to look for people to fit a role. One of the things I usually try to find out from candidates is when they are in need how do they try to get help right so you you have been struggling you are in a kind of quagmire uh, struggling with 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 a problem technical or otherwise commercial and there are no internal resources within the organization you've tried but it's still not working what what else will you do yeah that's that's what i typically try to you know know how a candidate to solve a problem in an island
1: okay so you're looking for more technical skills than softer skills then when you're interviewing somebody
2: well not necessarily so like i said this in the in this particular instance that problem might be technical it may be business it may be commercial but understanding you know one's sense of solution you know, or resolving problems. Once, well, you can call it your philosophy to solving problems. You know, because again, probably I'm biased by my training as an engineer. We are trying to solve problems, and but I think that all of what we're doing in the world is first of all understanding the world where we are, and then making it better for ourselves. And that's what we call, you know, pr- you know, development or you know, finding solutions to challenges. So, I always prefer or would like I'm excited to know each individual's philosophy to making the world a better place.
1: That's a really good answer actually i really like I really like that answer so, what is the the most challenging problem that you've had to fix
2: in your career so far? I think I have to think one or two seconds to answer that because I've never really thought about something that was really, really most challenging. Okay, now that I think I've thought a little bit, probably my biggest challenge was getting into the international space. Because like I said, from the beginning, I always wanted to be out there solving, being in the forefront of uh, developing and implementing solutions to the, you know, to our world's problem, or at least being a part of that, you know, a part of that story. So, Apart from the early days in the first three years when I struggled to get into the mainstream industry, uh, after about, uh, uh, about seven or 10 years, I was still in the country, which is okay. I was getting a lot of experience, but I thought that I was not really, I did not consider myself as an international or someone of an international record. So breaking through that for me, was, again, not necessarily a challenge, but an opportunity, yeah.
1: Okay. So what is your zone of genius? What are you really good at?
2: What I consider myself as a genius at? Yeah, please. Well, I don't even think of myself as a genius in anything. I just think that I'm someone who believes. So if I put my heart to anything, according to my wife, I get it. So... It depends really on what you throw at me once I commit to with it i just i just i just become a genius of it in terms of natural strengths I probably see myself as and then also based on feedback I think people say I'm very good technical my technical strength is strong analytical strength I think there is something is the kind of feedback I get so sense of um uh, resolving complexity, you know, or maybe systems thinking, thinking if you like, but ability to uh, take a, a very complex situation and um, simplify it. So yeah, so that's where the analytical probably skills come in, and and then you know modeling, making it simple enough to begin to to understand the challenges and then how to solve it.
1: Okay, but do you think it's important to have good ana- analytical skills as an engineer?
2: Oh, of course, of course, of course. I mean, it goes without saying that engineers. I think the first, the first definition we had in undergraduate college, yeah, on on, on in undergraduate school about engineering was that ing- engineers solve uh, the world's problem using scientific, you know, principles. So, and of course, arts. So you being able to combine arts and science to solve any problem will really, really require a lot of uh, analytical capacity. I
1: agree, actually, I do actually agree. So I just wondered, did you always want to be an engineer when you were younger, or has it been your burning ambition to always be an engineer?
2: I think in the heart of my heart, I wanted to be an engineer, but I didn't know that, it was, that was what engineering was, right? So I did not necessarily know that, that to be engineering, but I've always wanted to discover something that will help, that will contribute, that will improve yeah, the world, that will somehow bring resolve some challenges. So I didn't know that was what engineering was all about until I started engineering myself. So I was thinking more in terms of science. I was more inclined towards science. I think by the time I was in um, in the, um, what you may call the fourth, fourth to fifth grade now, I was already thinking maybe I should do something that has to do with ge- geosciences and sciences because I was now beginning to like exploration you know, exploring the world and finding something and finding, um, uh, for example, one of the things that always excited me was, you know, how uh, I could find uh, energy that is free, you know, (laughs) so we can just get energy from the air, just just from air. Air is free. Air is everywhere, for instance. So, uh, and I was thinking I have to be someone who will explore the world or explore space, you know. I uh, actually, I actually applied to go and read uh, geology. Then when I got to, to, to school, then I saw that all my friends, all my friends had you know, applied to do engineering of one kind or the other. So I said, okay, I'm going to submit this form anyway, to do geological sciences, but when I get there, I'm going to ask for an opportunity to change it to engineering. If they allow me to do that then I will do it. If they don't allow me to do it, I'll submit the form anyway. So I got to the office where I had to submit my application form and I asked, can I use a TPEX? And um, I think it's called TPEX. I don't know what it's called somewhere. The correction fluid, you know, the white thing. Can I, can I just erase it? Then it well, everything was done on paper. Can I erase this and and, and change my course? They say, yeah, of course you can do that. So I just erased it and I wrote chemical engineering and they offered, and, and that, that was how I I, I became a, an engineer instead.
1: <laughs> but even that's amazing in itself because it could have been, it could, your career could have been so different. Do you never really think about it? If you didn't make the, the change at the last minute, that your career could have been
2: totally different to, to what it is today? Probably. Yes, indeed. I do think about it, probably. But then geologists, geoscientists are also not only finding solutions, you know, in the world today, but they're also part of our industry. they also, I'm working with them every day. You know, they explore and they, you know, they they, they, they define the the statics of uh, reservoirs and find the volumes. And then all I'm doing, or we do as engineers, is to see how we can bring it out. So at the end of the day, we're all working together, solving the same problems. And now we are talking about carbon capture and storage. We're still working with them you know, on them, how we can effectively store CO2, for example, in the right reservoirs underground, or we are talking about geothermal, which is one of these solutions. So, again, does it really matter whether you call it geological engineering or you're calling it chemical engineering or you call it geology or chemistry? I think it is all about the joy of being part of finding solutions that will improve the world.
1: I think it does actually. Because carbon capture is quite an important topic just now in the industry. I think the whole world over.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm glad I read chemical engineering because that for me one of the benefits I have being a chemical engineer is the flexibility. It gives me all right. It gives me lots of flexibility. Probably if I had been a you know, a geoscientist, I would have been less I would have had, you know, less um a uh, flex flexible room or space to do you know so many obviously engineers have this benefit of um, being able to you know do so many things. We seem to have a lot of tentacles or a lot of arrows in our pouches, however you want to describe it. But engineers have is it nine lives they call it or something? I don't know how to describe it, but as an engineer, you can really you you can almost do everything, or you can do almost everything.
1: Do you really think that as a chemical engineer that you have a lot more opportunities in the industry?
2: I really think so. Someone else may think otherwise, but I think that as a chemical engineer I have had the opportunity to work as or work in many in 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 many roles that you would not consider to be traditionally for chemical engineers. In addition to those where you think that chemical engineers fit very well so I have I have done roles that you might consider to be traditional mechanical engineering roles or petroleum engineering roles or even economist roles um or even industrial engineering and so on and so forth. Yes indeed that, that flexibility is there. But beyond the flexibility, beyond the opportunity itself, I think the biggest the, the, the biggest benefit of engineering as a whole and chemical engineering in particular. For us, the practitioners, or students, as the case may be, is the, the, the thinking, right? The thinking, the, 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 the outlook. Education is it's all about changing the way you think, right? In, in, you know, fundamentally speaking. So, chemical engineering is one thing that makes you think like you can do everything. Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with matter and energy. And this is the two things that constitute the world, or probably the universe. That we're dealing, and chemical engineers are always manipulating matter and energy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree with that. Yes, wholeheartedly. So I just wondered because you seem really enthusiastic, and I love being an engineer as well. And 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 I just feel like we have a, a very good conversation going. And I just wanted to know. What do you enjoy most about, your, about your, your career? What do you enjoy the most about being an engineer?
2: Oh, yes. So, again, and I hope I'm not saying the same thing for every question, the, the, the joy of finding solutions. Energy is a big need for the world today. I'm glad to be part of that, providing energy solutions. The decarbonization of climate action, climate crisis, climate emergency, whatever you want to call it, climate situation, I'm glad that I want to be a part of that. But then on a personal level, you know, engineering and especially our industry in the oil and gas, especially yeah, allows you to, it brings a lot of benefits, right? It brings a lot of benefits, you know. We're in a multicultural environment, you know, people from all over the world coming together, meeting in some famous cities around the world, be it Lagos or Houston or Calgary or Madrid you know, Stavanga, wherever, you know, we're moving, you have the opportunity to travel around the world, not only walking or meeting people, but also living, you know, living around the world and um, uh, working with some of some of the uh, smartest and, um, and um, let's say, culture people around the world. So, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that, that's wonderful. And also, I mean, if, uh, you know, at the family level, your kids have the opportunity to, also, move around, you know, with you and um, have some of the best experiences in terms of education, in you know, and um, and uh, cultural uh, integration, assimilation, and and so on. So it's beautiful. It's quite uh, satisfying. One feels really blessed.
1: So where is the where is the loca- where is the best location you've worked on?
2: Best location for me i I don't know I think every everywhere is good in one thing and not so good in the other other things yeah really I, I really I really can't pinpoint what is best I have to I have to do a detailed you know <laughs> pluses and minuses you know cause benefit analysis and then begin to resolve it I don't know but everywhere is good it it, it depends on what it gives you and what it doesn't give so yeah.
1: So, do you like to-
2: Madrid? Is a great place. Anyway, I'm in Madrid, and Madrid is obviously fantastic. It's a fantastic place, no doubt about that. Yeah.
1: I've never worked in Madrid actually. I've worked a few places, but I've never worked in Madrid. So you're very lucky, actually. It's it's a, meant to be a really nice area. We
2: have great food here. We have great weather here. Uh, great people here. What else? What else will you ask for? Oh, people say we don't have so much money, but money is not like everything. Yeah,
1: I agree. I do yeah. agree, actually. So, because you have a wealth of knowledge and experience in the energy sector, I just wondered: do you have any advice to give anybody that's listening, that's going to be graduating soon, how to get a career in the energy sector?
2: Okay. If I should advise someone on how to get into the energy sector and have a good career, I would say get hold of the fundamentals, right? And, I, and this is not just about, you know, the energy industry. I think this is for every industry, especially for those uh, of us who are in technical and engineering background. It's very, very important to master the first principles of uh, any discipline of any endeavor of any body of knowledge for that matter this is important because when you get into the industry it it would matter very little whether you're a chemical engineer or whether you are you are mechanical engineer both of you both the you know you did you would have done call it fluid mechanics call it um, a, a transport phenomenon or momentum transfer, whatever, you know, civil engineering, or even in electrical engineering, you know, so the principle of uh, diffusion, where you say some, you know, material moves from area of lower potential to, you know, higher potential. When you are in electrical engineering, engineering, you're still talking about, you know, potential difference, you know, and then instead of talking about diffusion of material, you're talking about electrons and current fee changing potential, moving from one level of potential to another. And then, whether it's at the molecular level or at the bulk level, where fuel is moving again from one gradient to another, and this is what is happening in the world. Rain falling, petroleum moving underground, or water, open drainage, or, uh, you, you know, uh, pollution moving from... So, it, it's still the first you know, the basic principles is what is important. No, nobody really cares whether what you start date. It is about your ability to use the, you know, the, 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 the principle, the scientific principles that you have a good grasp of to apply it to the problem at hand. So it's important to have a good grasp of of first principles and, and, and um, understand that this is your, uh, what you really have in your toolbox to solve problems.
1: And I think that's really good advice. I'm gonna ask you one maybe final question. If you could turn back time, would you change anything?
2: Well, why would I think about what I know that I wouldn't I, I know that I, I you know I turn back time, and that is not my ambition to turn back time. so i I do not want to think about that uh, what I what I would change. That has happened my philosophy is that everything that has happened or everything that precedes the next is a stepping stone for the next so probably it's a challenge now but it could be a step to the next to the opportunity of the future so i wouldn't i wouldn't want to change anything that is past i want to change something that is in future
1: okay because i keep on going back to the to how you started out and i think it's quite an amazing story actually even so, that you would you do anything differently when you were when you were starting out, considering you had the struggle for three years to to actually get to actually achieve and get your dream role.
2: Okay, what did I not do right that could have landed me in that? I have more stories to tell. We have national youth service, which is a mandatory services that youth. Like it's done across the world, some sort of paramilitary and social community service that Nigerian graduates have to do for one year after 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 the university. So during that during that program, for me, I was involved in community service where I won a state award, and that entitled me to job offer by the state government, and I was also doing. By reason of my community service, also I had some um, industrialists. One, at least one of them, that approached me, approached me and said, "Come on, stay with me. Let us build dryers. I we actually designed dryers and we fabricated some for the you know for the local farmers for drying out their grain, you know, to make cassava uh, flour and and so on and so forth, gary and so on." So he said to me, "Come on, stay. Let's 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 build this equipment and." You know, make it big and uh, all of that. And then government said, well, you won the award. You could actually take up a job in the ministry and all that. But I turned down all of that and I said, no, I, my mind is in going to solve, you know, energy problems of the world and being out there, you know, in the front line of things. I want to go to the energy industry. This was just before my three years on the street without jobs. So at that time, I regretted. I said, oh, I could have been back. In a battle, you know, doing uh taking the uh, the job of us that were before me. If I had done that, I could not have been in this wilderness wallowing for three years. But now I now look back and I'm glad that I, I you know I I passed through the wilderness to the promised land. So it's, it's 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 all about it's 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 sometimes you're going through things now and you think, oh, if I had the opportunity. I'm going to change things, but with the benefit of, um, you know, time, you begin to realize that even the challenges are all part of the journey.
1: I think so too. I think so too. And I think you've had and taken quite a, a difficult start and journey and turned into a huge success. I think your your career has been amazing as well.
2: Well, thanks be to God.
1: That's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Akachi for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.